Hey guys, it's Matilda Pearl. We've lost too many lives on our roads this year through risks that weren't worth taking. So I've teamed up with the TAC and other artists to use live music as a way of highlighting that life without your mates is as quiet as music without a band. So take extra care out there and let's keep the band together. I mean, the inner north, I reckon, is pretty cool. I used to kind of sneer a bit at the inner north, but actually it's really buzzing. It's just got it's really strong street energy. You hear music everywhere. That's Aussie legend Mark Seymour. And yeah, in the old days, and by the old days, I'm referring to the 80s and 90s, Melbourne bands rarely ventured further north than Brunswick Street Fitzroy. But these days, it's fair to say that Northcote and Brunswick have become the new epicentres of Melbourne's world-renowned music scene. So coming up, we're going Northside to explore some of the iconic venues that make up perhaps the most vital piece of Victoria's live music puzzle. I'm Alex Leahy, and welcome to episode six of Always Live, High on High Street. I'm a massive fan of anywhere in the north to play. I don't really have a Southside visa, and I'm pretty happy where I am. I like to stay close to home. So all these venues, to me, are fantastic. That's the high priestess of Melbourne soul, Kylie Aldist, who loves the live venues in this part of the city. And she's not alone. Venues like Northcote Social Club, Thornbury Theatre, Howler and the Croxton are universally loved by artists and fans alike. So what is it that makes these venues and this part of the city so special when it comes to live music? To try and answer that question, let's jump on a number 19 tram and head straight up Sydney Road to a band room that used to be a hat factory? In the first episode of Always Live, we met Mary Michalakos, widely regarded as the queen of the Melbourne scene. We reckon Mary's been to more gigs in Melbourne than anyone else. It's highly likely. Um, last Sunday I went to five shows and, yeah, sadly I've been seeing gigs most of my life, most nights of the week for about 30-so years and I still haven't found anything better to do. As if there's anything better to do than seeing live music. Mary's booked a stack of gigs as well. Nowadays, she books the bands at the Brunswick Ballroom, a place very close to her heart. The Brunswick Ballroom was Metropolis House. And um, I've got a Greek background. I was born in Melbourne, but my mum and dad came to Melbourne, dad came here in 55 and mum came here in 58. And my mother is from the same village as the landlord of the Brunswick Ballroom, who are the Apostolakos family. So when my mother came to Melbourne, when she was, you know, 15 years old, she needed somewhere to work and live. The family who owned the Brunswick Ballroom space owned, I think it was a hat factory at the time, and it was my mother's job. She worked in the building that I now book. That was her first job in Australia. Incredible. Mary started booking the venue when it was known as the Spotted Mallard, and then she discovered she had a couple more links to the building when she was out walking during lockdown. I was actually walking past their house during my walks to the Mary Creek because they live like just off the Mary Creek, like about 100 metres from the Mary Creek. So I was walking past the landlord's house 
without even knowing it during lockdowns when the venue was being sold. And then one day I walked past and I said, hi, John, I'm Mary uh, Michal Arcos, who books the Spotted Mallard, which it was at the time. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, we've met, you know, I love your mum and dad. I know. And then he started telling me stories. And then so I, and, he, and I knew um, Effie, his wife, vaguely. And she also, um, believe it or not, goes to the gym with Ash Naylor, who plays in Even, and now he plays in the church and all these other bands. So so she knew Ash. So she's got a bit of a connection um, to him as well. And so we ended up sort of hanging out a lot during lockdown and, and they were one of my bubble houses that I would go and visit. And they became like a second pair of parents, you know, set of parents to me because they're the same age as my mum and dad. So I would spend a lot of time with the landlords of the Brunswick Ballroom and I found out all about the sale, like it was being sold when I was hanging out with them. So it was really bizarre that this all happened around lockdown. It was like I was meant to book this venue. And yeah, so that was my history with that room. And I also went to it a lot when it was Metropolis House, when it was a Greek wedding reception and um, function room. Because And a few of my cousins who had smaller weddings it only fits 300 people, for seated that is. Now it's got a 468 licence um, for standing. But, for you know, that's, that's a small Greek wedding. So a couple of my cousins got married in the venue and they're all married now. They're still married, so that's a good sign. <laughs> so, yeah, it's got a good history for me, that place. The ballroom might not be large enough for a big, fat Greek wedding, but it's perfect for a great night out or a big afternoon. Well, I actually just don't geek like last week had a... Brunswick Ballroom, beautiful venue. That's Melbourne composer Mindy Mong Wang, one of the world's finest Gojiang players, an ancient Chinese instrument that usually has 21 strings. Mindy noticed a few interesting things about the Brunswick Ballroom when she recently did a Sunday afternoon show there. I played there not as a headline band or gig um, and usually it's in the evening so I didn't notice that they have a beautiful roof and the glass you know like a coloured glass and the chandeliers it's just a, such a, a amazing venue I feel like you know if a band hasn't thought about like playing the gig for the daytime they probably should think about it because the, the dynamic is very different Melbourne's king of cosmic country, Henry Waggins, is also a big fan of the Brunswick Ballroom. He first played there when it was the Spotted Mallard. Brunswick Ballroom's a very special room. I remember it. It's had a few incarnations. And when it was the Spotted Mallard, it was great. It sort of had a a catwalk. It had a, a different orientation to the room. And, yeah, in and of itself, that was a great place to see a lot of grassroots acts But then the Brunswick Ballroom was having a makeover and the folks that were doing it were saying, you know, Henry, you've got to get down and see this. And I remember walking into it and it was like entering some sort of musical chapel. I saw a sort of coloured light stream in and hit the ground and I realised that there's a stained glass roof that lets the sun in. But I think it had been sort of so neglected and dilapidated for years, it was just covered in grime and sin. Mark Seymour was a little taken aback when he played the Brunswick Ballroom recently. During his years with Hunters and Collectors and Solo, Mark got used to doing loud and sweaty gigs at beer barns where punters are standing shoulder to shoulder. But at his ballroom shows, everyone was seated. Our audience is obviously a bit older, I remember when I started doing those sorts of rooms, 
you know, an older audience and you kind of be going, oh, we're going to be rocking too hard, you know, we're going to be too full on. But I didn't care, you know, I just, it was really cool. It sort of reminded me of an American kind of venue. Like I remember when I first went over to play over in, you know, we did when I was signed to Atlantic and we started doing more of those sorts of rooms and people were sitting on tables and chairs near the front of the stage and you go, this is kind of weird. What are they sitting down for? And then I realised, oh, that's what Americans, that's kind of how they do it, you know, and they have little candles on the tables and and you're playing really aggressively and pumping air and they're kind of going, yeah, man, yeah, I love it. And they're just sipping whatever they're drinking, you know. And that kind of has come home to roost. That's sort of like a style of room that is relatively new in Australia, I think, but that seems to work. People really like it, you know, and Brunswick ballrooms are definitely like that. You can still get up on stage and do your thing and not feel like you're going over their heads. They're right there. They're ready to listen. So, yeah, I'll probably play that room again at some point, you know. As well as booking household names like Mark Seymour, Mary Mikolakos is always willing to give young acts a go. Here, she gives us the hot tip on a band we should be checking out. I love a band from Melbourne called The Slingers. They sold out the Brunswick Ballroom. They actually, we only got a capacity increase in the last few weeks of um, the whole venue's gone from 293 to 468. And, um, yeah, they sold out the new capacity. And still no one knows who The Slingers are. They've put out one seven-inch, but they seem to have quite an incredible live following. Their music is incredible. The songwriting is really strong. And it was one of those cases where I love the band. And this happened a couple of years ago with Grace Cummings. I, I, when I had my opening weekend of the Brunswick Ballroom in February 2021, I told Grace, I really want you to play the opening weekend. And she did not believe me that she could sell at the venue. And she sold it out. I knew she would. And this is also what happened with um, the Slingers. I sort of said to them, you know, you've got to do this gig. It will sell out. And and I think they, they hadn't played in, eight, you know, much at all. The band only started in 2017 and 18, but they've all been like friends from school and they haven't had other bands. And, of course, they sold out the show. So sometimes I think it's a good experience where I love the band and their music, but I sort of believe in the band more than than they know. So I think that those sort of experiences are great. And, yeah, I think, um, yeah, check out the Slingers. They've got great songs. And what about an insider's guide to the Melbourne scene? Is there one venue we might not know about but should definitely check out? Um, There are so many great venues in Melbourne. I really love the Gem. It's a little tiny bar in Collingwood but it's nearby. Melbourne has so many great rooms. I, I wish the casino wasn't a gambling venue. I really like Palms, I believe it or not. <laughs> I think it's a good room. Um, I, there's, yeah, Melbourne's got some wonderful rooms. There's just too many, I think, to single out. But, yeah, but the Brunswick Ballroom is definitely the best, ta- the best venue in Melbourne and we've got a really nice grand piano. Before we leave Mary Michalakos and that beautiful grand piano, She does have one gripe about the Melbourne music scene and a potential business opportunity. We don't really have a decent gig guide in Melbourne. I'm really concerned about this. As the former editor of Beat Magazine, I was very focused on the gig guide as being the most important part of the newspaper. I used the gig guide to navigate my weekends and often... 
I find myself, particularly since Facebook sort of depleted, I suppose, the energies that were going into gig guides with their Facebook events and all that sort of stuff, that comprehensive gig guide for the last 10 years really haven't, hasn't existed in Melbourne. So if someone is listening there who's got money, who has already a platform that provides a gig guide, do a little bit better and give us a decent, comprehensive gig guide that we can rely on that we know is accurate because often there's, you know, people are asking people to upload their own gigs these days because they're too, you know, lazy to hire someone to put a gig guide together. It's the most basic thing. A little further down Sydney Road is another venue with a grand name, the Edinburgh Castle. This is the oldest pub in Brunswick, dating back to 1854. They do gigs six nights a week and there's even a dog-friendly beer garden. What's not to love? There are so many great different venues around uh, North Side. You know, like I'm based in Brunswick, so I'll just talk more about like what else is around here. Another venue I really truly love is Jazz Lab. And the music, as you can tell by the name, it plays jazz. And I think the best thing is, I think Jazz Lab is one of the best, definitely the best jazz venue in Melbourne or maybe in Australia. And it's best to go there, sit down in a little table, get yourself a glass of red wine or martini, just emerge in the beautiful sound. I like to go on a quiet night. You know, it's just really wonderful. I get the feeling Mindy Mongwang could be an excellent Northside tour guide. Another Brunswick treat is a venue called Howler. Tucked in behind the town hall, Howler's where the Killers did a secret show in 2017, the night before they played the AFL Grand Final. This building started life as a warehouse in the 1940s, and it's now one of the best places to see a band. The first thing you'll notice is that there's lots of timber. The architects had wanted to create an urban forest. Whether or not they succeeded is up for debate, but there's no denying the place has a very cool vibe. I reckon Hale is one of the best sounding rooms in the country. That's Oscar Dawson from Holy Holy. Chat to any artist who's been lucky enough to play at Howler and they'll be raving about the room, like Kylie Aldist. I launched my album Family Tree at Howler and I loved it. And June Jones. Totally, yeah, yeah. It feels a bit like next level or something. It's very clean and I don't know, I just, I like it as a special venue. And Alice Ivy. Oh gosh, I remember the first time I played Howler was opening for an artist called Bonoffi, who's still, yeah, legend, legend, Melbourne legend artist. Um, and that was back in 2016. But I think a really special moment for me when I played Howler was the first time I headlined Howler. And that was for my album launch, I'm Dreaming, back in 2018. And that was really special because, again, Howler is one of my favourite venues in Melbourne. The room is treated so well. If you go and see a performance there, it's generally very good sound. And, yeah, it was just a really special moment selling that out. It was just like, cool, that's a bucket list moment ticked. There's something almost magical about the way the room has been designed. No matter where you are at Howler, You feel so close to the stage and the lighting really brings the artist to life. 
Yeah, the lighting is amazing. I remember seeing Hiatus Coyote play a residency back in the day. I think this would have been maybe 2014 or 2015. And it was, I went a couple of times and it was just such a special moment. So yeah, that always kind of got a place in my heart. Howler also has a special place in Angeline Armstrong's heart. It was here that the Telenova singer met her hubby at a Didiri gig. I was just there with a bunch of friends. And so he was in that group of people and... Yeah, it was the first time that we'd we'd really met. We'd heard of each other because we were both musicians. We are both musicians. But yeah, we didn't really talk much at that gig because Dadiri is just so captivating. And yeah, it's pretty cool to see a, a sea of people in that room just fall silent and just see that beam of light just shining on him. And you're like, okay, focus still very much alive here. This is wonderful. Howler is just around the corner from another brilliant Brunswick venue. The Retreat Hotel, where they do shows in the front bar and the band room, and sometimes even in the beautiful beer garden out the back. The great Charles Jenkins from the Ice Cream Hands did a famous Monday night residency at the Retreat. He even wrote a song called Monday Nights at the Retreat Hotel. So Mondays are for winners, Charles sings, and very clean folk singers, the saints and the sinners, the barflies and the beginners. Charles has been a mainstay of the Melbourne music scene for many years and also worked at a couple of the city's finest record stores, Gaslight and Basement Discs. One, two, three, four. As we continue our journey into some of Melbourne's most iconic Northside venues, we find ourselves in Northcote to explore a bar where Courtney Barnett worked before she became a star. Yep. Before she won ARI Awards and was nominated for a Grammy and a Brit Award, Courtney was working behind the bar at the Northcote Social Club. It was here she got to see a stack of incredible gigs for free and all she had to do was serve a couple of beers and clean up some spew every now and then. Courtney even named her first EP after the Northcote's bar manager. I've got a friend called Emily Ferris. Yep, the Northcote Social Club is that kind of place. I mean, that room's very successful. I would, at a guess, say that's definitely connected with the community. There's a lot of people in that area who really support that room and they hang out there, like the bar works outside and they, they move in and out of the bar into the, into the music room and there's always a crowd there when you play, even if they're not actually there to see you, you know. That's Mark Seymour, who loves playing at the Northcote Social Club. It's also one of Henry Wagon's favourite venues. I've got a real fondness for uh, the Northcote Social Club. I really like wide rooms. You know, the long, thin ones, as packed or as, you know, popular as the gig might be, you lose the back third. They're near the bar, they're out the back, they're talking to their mates just by the tyranny of distance. But, like, the Northcote Social Club is, is thick. It's like I feel like when I've played there, even the back is kind of close. And it's sort of like you're reaching out. You can, if you, if you just, you know, put your arms out like an albatross, you can kind of hug everyone in that room. And, you know, it's standing room only most of the time. And that is, again, a place where you can kind of squeeze up front, hope that you don't have a big buffet in front of you and see the gig of your life. Henry's also spent quite a bit of time in the social club's green room getting ready to go on stage. The green room at the Northcote Social Club is sort of up the stairs near the Dunnies. So 
as an artist playing there, you always have to walk past all the people sort of awkwardly on the way to the urinal. You walk past, like, hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah, thanks for coming. <laughs> thanks for finding a ticket to my show. Um, enjoy the release, you know, ones or twos. But that green room's so intimate. The Northcote Social Club's been home to plenty of highlights since it opened in 2005. One of those was when the Pixies did a special one-off show there in 2007. This hugely influential American band played at a venue that only holds 300 people. Jarvis Cocker was in the crowd, as was Melbourne music manager Michael Parisi. I'll never forget that show. It was so fucking loud. There was like 300 people, 350 people packed in a room. There was another 1,000 outside trying to get in. But they enjoyed the show just as much as we did. They could hear it. I mean, I think the next three blocks heard that show. They brought in all their own, you know, all their own equipment and they just blasted the joint. That was my favourite gig, you know, in a small venue of all time. Michael manages artists like Vera Blue and Xavier Rudd and says the Northcote Social Club is a very important gig. If you can make it at the Northcote, you can make it anywhere. Yeah, all the acts I've worked with, you know, particularly recently, when I say recently, say the, the past decade, artists like Owl Eyes, um, Wave the Eagle, Vera Blue, all have to start somewhere and... You know, we use the Northcote as kind of like if you get to the Northcote and you do really well, then you've got a bit of a launching pad to go to the next big venue, which is the corner in Richmond. And from the corner, you can go to 170 Russell, with the old billboard. But the Northcote, yeah, I just saw great bands there. Amy Shark, Vance Joy, Camp Cope, Mia Ray, G Flip and Baker Boy are just some of the acts who have done great gigs at the Northcote Social Club. Lady Gaga had an infamous 4th of July party at the pub a few years back and Gautier's band, The Basics, recorded their live albums here. Chris from The Basics has a good description of the Northcote Social Club. He says it's hip without being hipster. But Kieran from Perth's Spacey Jane says they felt a little rattled whenever they ventured Northside. I think we were intimidated because we thought it was like the coolest, you know what I mean? Like the trendiest pretty much anywhere between like North CBD to Brunswick. It's people that are definitely much cooler than we are, or at least dress better. So giving the impression that they are. And I think, you know, as soon as we dropped up and there were people there that wanted to see us singing along and stuff, that facade melted away pretty quickly. I still think it's cool as hell, but I think we, um, we maybe deserved to be here more than we gave ourselves credit for. Back in the 80s and 90s, the Northcote Social Club used to host a lot of country music gigs when it was known as the Commercial Hotel. In fact, the great Slim Dusty did many shows at the Commercial and it was where Weddings, Parties, Anything played their very first gig. So how did the Commercial end up becoming the Northcote Social Club? Well, when the iconic Punters Club closed, Matt Everett was looking around for a new venue He took over the old commercial, renamed it the Northcote Social Club, and the rest, as they say, is history. Sally Mather, who's now at the Forum, used to book for both the Corner and the Northcote. Look, I think Corner definitely gets more, I guess, coverage just by the nature of having better-known acts being a larger space, but you'll most of the time see them at Northcote first, so the Northcote is a really iconic space in that You'll see a lot of bands really early on really cutting their teeth and having their first big headline show 
kind of things. So, and, you know, they have great initiatives like uh, Monday Night Mass and things like that, which are opportunities to see local bands kind of on their way up. So I personally feel Northcote is as iconic as Corner is and as Forum is. It's just, I guess, on the different levels, the awareness changes. So if you want to see any iconic Victorian bands, Northcote's the place to start for sure. The biggest star to come out of Horsham, Alice Skye, first went to the Northcote Social Club as a punter before she got to play there. I moved to Melbourne when I was 18 and Northcote Social Club was like on my tram line from uni. I originally moved here to study a science degree that I'd never finished. But yeah, I guess Northcote Social was known as where you could go see some like amazing bands. And I saw, you know, bands from overseas that I was a big fan of there. And yeah, most recently played our very delayed album launch there, which I couldn't believe was sold out. I was so happy. (laughs) Um, We hadn't long come from Adelaide where I only sold maybe like 20 tickets, which is fine, but I really needed that sold out show um, in my adopted home. So what makes the social club special? There's something about that room that I love like enclosed rooms, kind of where everything is directed to the stage. I don't really like playing outdoors because I find it harder to kind of capture that feeling where everyone is just like so engaged. So I think there's something about the room that causes that to happen. You know, the bar is sort of tucked away and um, you can really absorb yourself, even as someone going. Like it's always a nice experience to watch a gig there. It always sounds really good. Also has a great green room. I like being tucked tucked away. That keeps bands happy, I think. The Northcote Social Club is the Corner Hotel's sister venue. But unlike the corner, it doesn't have a pesky pole in the middle of the room. No, the room doesn't have a pole. Yeah, you can just see. And I think being on the stage is really nice too. Yeah, always had such great memories there and that was such a special show and I had friends and family from Geelong and Horsham and outside of Melbourne come there. My mum came, she'd never been and she just was like, isn't this venue great? Isn't this so great? (laughs) And she's right. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know how to directly answer why it's so special, but it just is. And maybe that's because they've brought so much great music through those and on that stage, I think sometimes energy that happens in a room can kind of linger. So I think that probably plays a big a big part of the specialness of it. For me anyway, just thinking about, yeah, who's been on the stage. It's a vibe. Yeah, exactly. I hate using that word because it's so used, but it's true. It's just a vibe always. For a while, the social club worked their bar rosters around Courtney Barnett's touring commitments. But then they realised she was never coming back. To work behind the bar, that is. Courtney has been back to play at the Northcote, which has been very special. If you're planning a big night out, leave the car at home. If you can, use public transport, catch a taxi, rideshare, or organise a designated driver. Let's all get home safely and keep the band together. I think we're ready for this, we're ready for this.
These days, live music is everywhere you look on High Street. It's a very long street, but I'm not sure if one street in Australia has more live gigs. Right next door to the Northcote is 303, a bar that used to be a butcher's shop before becoming a venue in the year 2000. The 303 guys really got the ball rolling on High Street. Closer to the city, right near the Westgarth Cinema, is a ripping little venue called the Merry Creek Tavern, which is run by Mick Thomas from Weddings Parties Anything. And then there's the Wesley Ann at 250 High Street, a really interesting building that used to be an old chapel. It was built by the local Wesleyan Methodists way back in 1854, hence the name Wesley Ann. The building was also a Sunday school before it became a cosy live gig hub in 2003. It's a particular favourite of Michael Parisi. It's small, it's intimate. You feel like you can touch the, uh, the performer, the artist. Um, you can hear every word being uttered. People are respectful of the artist playing. You know, there's no talking over them. It's, you know, you know those, some of those venues command that kind of behaviour, you know, and it's because people are there for the right reasons. They're there to see the artist. They're not there to, you know, drink beer and, and fight. The latest addition to High Street's long list of live music venues is the Northcote Theatre. This was the first building in Northcote to be connected to electricity. It was the Northcote Picture Theatre, screening movies from 1912 to 1960. In the 70s, it became the Regal Ballroom, a popular spot for wedding receptions. And now it's been reborn as a live venue for 1,500 people, complete with rooftop bar. We love it. And it's definitely the buzziest new room in Melbourne. Spiderbait played opening night to a full house and it hasn't let up since. Head further down High Street into the next suburb and you'll find the Croxton Park Hotel. During the glory days of Countdown, this was where Molly Meldrum DJed. Rocket the Croc on a Thursday night was the hottest ticket in town. Every week, a thousand people would turn up to see Molly spinning the hits and all the big pub rock bands played at the Croc. We're talking ACDC, Skyhooks, Rose Tattoo, Men at Work and Midnight Oil. The Croxton has a legendary history. It really, I mean, that pub's been there for about 150 years. I think there used to be a race course just behind there somewhere um, and it was where basically all the punters would go and drink after the races, which is incredible really to think about that, that, you know, that Thornbury had a race course. But, you know, it was kind of purpose-built in the 70s. They kind of spent a lot of money building that band room and so they really kind of had the who's who of the time. Um, so, again, you know, in excess, Cold Chisels first Victorian show was at the Croxton, you know, uh, Midnight Oil and Little River Band and just so this, you know, it was part of the touring circuit back then. In saying that, bands would do five or six shows a week. They would play every single night of the week and that's the way, you know, and the Croxton was just part of the circuit. So it has this very steep, you know, very kind of deep history of touring culture. That's Andrew Parisi, who, funnily enough, is not related to Michael. Andrew reopened the Croxton Band Room in 2015. Well, weirdly, I grew up in Thornbury as a kid and the Croxton was just a place to avoid generally. You just didn't want someone being kind of thrown out and landed on you while you're walking past or something. Um, but um, I was kind of at this juncture in my career and kind of thought, right, what's next? And I was aware, obviously, that the venue had this 
room there. So I popped in to have a look. And sure enough, they were running a um, over 28s disco called Club Epic. I don't know how epic it was. And I don't know how many over 28s it actually, how many people were close to over 28. But it wasn't doing great. And um, so I kind of started a conversation with the... um, with the group who own the hotel and um, and we took over the room and have had kind of exclusive booking rights there since. Um, and that's kind of how it started, really. It was just a conversation to say, well, let's put some decent stuff back in here. Andrew set the standard for the new Croxton as soon as he started booking the venue. Probably, um, so for example, the second show was The Drones and Augie March. Now, The Drones are, you know, a very kind of, art rock, you know, very kind of eclectic alternative band who would, you know, would not be seen dead in a venue that kind of had pokies next door. And so to be able to kind of have their trust and convince them to come in um, and things like Sleater Kinney, who, again, ferociously independent American all-girl group, I mean, people were just like, how is that happening? How is Sleater Kinney playing the Croxton, you know, because it was sort of just known as a pokies venue. So they were real coups and they, I kind of really feel, established that tone that I'm talking about. Like all the venues on High Street, the Croxton has become a hot gig because so many musicians and music fans now live Northside. You'll kind of find musicians and, you know, people in the arts will kind of move to areas they can afford and, you know, areas like St Kilda, which was the Holy Grail once upon a time, became so cost prohibitive. So everyone kind of moved to the north and as a result there was this sort of opening for a room that kind of catered to that audience. So north side I think um, really has what I guess St Kilda was in the 80s and 90s for that matter, you know, and, and so we're kind of very lucky to have an incredibly young demographic who are very kind of music, you know, enthusiastic about live music. And that youthful enthusiasm sure was on show when Brisbane band June Rats played at the Croxton. I think the greatest thing I've seen is we had the June Rats play and other than the security guards not wanting to talk to me for about a month after them playing three nights in a row is that a bunch of kids, when I say kids, they're all over 18, but a bunch of kids managed to smuggle in a bong in parts and then assembled it and then managed to kind of smoke cones in the middle of the dance floor. That same night, Amel and the Sniffers, who Andrew Parisi now co-manages, were doing their first Croxon gig in the front bar. Bongs and Sniffers. High on High Street. As Andrew Parisi pointed out, a lot of Melbourne music's movers and shakers headed Northside in the past decade or two. Here's the one and only Henry Waggons. But the Northside is where all the real cool people seem to hang. You know, that's the reality of where all the artistic community or so much of the artistic community in Melbourne lives. It's like, sure, I've gotten shit-faced to a cover band at Young and Jackson's, but I want to see where the people that are playing in the cover band hang out during their normal lives, and that's on the north side. You know, as rent and property prices have gone up, you know, People are pushed um, to various points of the compass and it seems like the best rhythm sections, the the noisiest, the most uh, crazy conversationalists, the immaculate dresses all walk up and down High Street. 
Sydney Road, getting a coffee in Clifton Hill. This is happening. This is a real thing. And it's where the cool kids land. Less than a kilometre down the road from the Croxton, just a couple of stops on the 86 tram, is a cool bar called Shot Kickers. This place used to be Swamplands, then Tago Mago, before it renamed itself after a bar that was featured in an episode of The Simpsons. Shot Kickers does live gigs pretty much every night of the week. Our live music journey on High Street has one more stop. About 100 metres from Shot Kickers is the beautiful Thornbury Theatre. Like the Northcote Theatre, this grand old building used to be a movie house before it became a reception centre and then a music venue. You walk into the Thornbury Theatre, there's a staircase, but it's a fantastic thing to walk into and people just go, I can't believe I haven't seen this. So you walk in, you go upstairs and you look at this space and go, what a fantastic space. So that's what drew me to it. Neil Wedd's been booking the bands at the Thornbury Theatre for the past 13 years, working alongside our good friend, Mary Michalakos. They're both blown away by the beauty of the place. I call it the Forum of the North, but it, in fact is that it exists is really something these days, given that it's got a, you know, it's 95, 97 years old. It used to be a cinema that held 1,700 people. They cut it in two in the early 70s. It used to be called the Catania Ballroom. And that was home because Thornbury is home to a huge amount of the Greek, Macedonian, Croatian populations in Melbourne. And I still get, I get people coming up. I had my confirmation here. We used to come every Sunday night. There was a Macedonian concert. So people are well used to being here. And even now I get people coming and going, this is older, going, I used to come here when it was a picture theatre in the 60s. So it's got history. As the saying goes, you never forget your first. And Neil will never forget his first show at the Thornbury. C.W. Stone King was the first show here was brilliant and he's even said that it was one of the best shows he ever had. The crowd was not sort of moshing, but they're sort of moving backwards and forwards and looking down from the balcony. You can just see the crowd washing backwards and forwards. Yeah, he said it was one of the great nights of his life. Neil's worked all over town, booking acts at the Prince of Wales and the Greyhound in St Kilda, as well as city venues like Billboard and the Metro. He's seen the Melbourne music scene grow and develop and also learned a few things along the way. The interesting part of all of this is that venues make suburbs. You know, if you really want to make a suburb, the council which should be completely proactive in helping venues get started. And if it's a little bit of noise, you just go, look, we really need this in the area. Yep, venues make suburbs and people make venues. Here's band manager Michael Parisi with his take. Well, I guess it's the people who live there and inhabit it, you know, and I'm throwing out some generalisations and cliches here, but, you know, Norths I've always seen as kind of like the more introspective, hipster, hippie, whatever you want to, whatever phrase you want to use there. Whereas, you know, I've always seen the South Side as kind of like, you know, I'm talking Paran and Windsor and as a bit more EDM, you know, so it's a friendly battleground. In the never-ending battle between the South and the North, there is no winner. I find them equally as interesting. You know, I see great things in bars and clubs 
you know, in the south as I do in the north, you know. As I said, it's not genre-specific, but I can't pinpoint an area where you go, I'm not going beyond that, you know, that area. I'd go anywhere to see a good band, and I think most Melbournians would. That said, you know, people don't like leaving their area sometimes, and, you know, people who live in that, you know, north side, Northcote, Thornbury, Preston, where a lot of artists live these days, probably stay in those areas and get their entertainment from those areas, but... You know, if you have to go to the St Kilda or, or South Melbourne or wherever, you, you'll you'll go if you're a hardcore music fan. Kylie Aldist, our high priestess of Melbourne soul, does like staying close to home, and she loves the Thornbury Theatre. The Bamboos played there. We did um, one of our first gigs coming back out of lockdown, which was it was it was just beautiful. Like what a lovely venue. There's such great people, and they looked after us, gave us you know all this food, and we also went uh, we went out for dinner first, unfortunately, because we came back, and then we also wanted to eat all the backstage food. <laughs> it's true that great venues take care of not just the punters but the bands as well. The only problem was the Bamboos had been out for a big Greek feast before their Thornbury show. And then we all went back and came into the band room where they brought in these amazing platters of food and we're like, no! (laughs) And so they brought us and they had so much alcohol. And then I met so many amazing people that I'd never met before after the show as well because everybody brought all their friends. Because, you know, when you work in music for a living, most of your partners never come because they're sick of it. Also, their friends don't come, so you're just there with strangers all the time or just with the band. So Mm. it was lovely. It was just lovely to be back in it up on the stage, just, you know, singing these songs that we'd we'd written the album but we'd never got to tour it. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting that, you know, that part where usually you go on a tour around the country or around the world, then you bring it home for the last show at home so that you've done it so good and you've got it, you know, and you can yeah. show them, look what we got. Because it was their first show back, Kylie admits she was very nervous. I had the words on the floor a bit, like some notes, and I was like, that's naughty. But... You know, it was just awesome and then, you know, got to go and sign autographs and merch and stuff at the back and meet more people and, I don't know, it just reminded me, like, you know, that I think it's going to be okay. I think I think we're back. I think it's all right. Yep, we're back, baby. Yeah, baby, baby. And the live revival's not just happening on High Street or in the heart of the city. In the next episode, we're going to hit the highway and take a road trip as we put the spotlight on some amazing venues in regional Victoria. From a town hall where you can bring your own food and drinks to the legendary Bowen Club. I would say the earliest memory I have of going to a gig or going to a venue would be the Bowen Club in Geelong. That was it. That was my first entry into punk rock and it was there. So the Bowen Club is very famous. Adelita and a whole lot more coming up next time on Always Live. This episode of Always Live was written and researched by Luke Wallace, Mikey Carl, and Jeff Jenkins. Audio production by Ben Oakley. Produced by Dave Carter on behalf of Media Heads. If you dug this podcast, feel free to share it, write a review, and subscribe to the series on your favourite podcast app. Sharing is caring. And if you want info on some awesome live gigs coming soon to Victorian stages, Follow Always Live on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter or visit the website alwayslive.com.au. I'm Alex Leahy. Catch you at the next gig. Hey, guys, it's Matilda Pearl. 
I couldn't do what I do without my band by my side, so don't do life without your mates by yours. Take care on the roads this summer, look out for each other, and most importantly, let's keep the band together.